We are back. Fault Lines and Nixon, Strandham, 105.5 FM, AM 1390 in Washington, D.C. Now, in theory, Garland, in theory, we are back on Periscope with the new setup that we are trying this morning. Things are Patrick Henningsen, by the way, from 21st Century Wire, is in the studio with us. And, Patrick, you can see it's kind of a, kind of a mess in here. But, okay, but we're trying things. There's power tools laying around. They're yeah. literally That's power what I tools. like about the situation. I'm, I'm just happy. I just see power tools. I wish there was a, a trimmer or something gas in here. That's, but my, oh well. that's my drill, by the way. Oh, I nice own drill. That. Thank you. You're welcome. I put that in. But see, take a look. There, there's the video right there. If you're not watching on video, it just makes no sense to you. But we got a pretty nice looking uh, setup here. And then Garland just took the drill. I don't know. What's, what are you doing? Are we allowed to do the OK sign? Like. Is that banned still? The OK sign? Ocean King turn sign? turn around and do that? Or is that going to be dangerous? Somebody's going to interpret that. Is, isn't that the one that's interpreted as the white power sign or something like that? Yeah. I don't even know how that works. It's been re, I, could it's been explain it. I could explain how it works, but I won't right now. But yeah. that whole thing, I know exactly what happened with that OK sign thing. I know the people who are behind it. No, I will tell you what it is. I'm not joking. I know exactly what happened with that. That was something that white nationalists were, were doing, that they set up as a thing to lure. They wanted people on the left to think that it was a white nationalist sign. But just like Pepe, it just took off. It started right. as a joke, and then yes. it got, they right. triggered it the other a, side. It was a joke to make fun of the left, to draw them. It's like, what are you doing, Cam? There's all kinds of strange things going on here. Oh, I, I, don't, okay. I, don't, I don't know what's going on. I just, But I have a drill. I'm I'm a bit threatened by that, Lee. Uh, Garland's holding a drill in his hand. Did you just say you were a bit threatened? Yeah, I <laughs> see what you did there. That was very clever, Patrick. Good one, good one. A lot of people might have been offended by that joke, but not me. Okay, so let's talk about press freedom. Because or the lack have, thereof. Well, here's the thing. Patrick Henningsen is in is in with us right now, and uh, he is from 21st Century Wire. You can follow him on Twitter at 21wire.com. Now, Patrick. You've been, how long have you been a publisher? Uh, About 10 years. Okay. About 10, in different capacities, but yeah, 10 years. Okay, so I'm going to bring up two issues. Uh, Well, let me bring up three. Uh, I think three issues that publishers face today that, again, tell me if I'm wrong, you've been doing this uh, 10 years. Uh, One is demonetization, right, where it's harder to make money. Two is uh, increased social control. Uh, from social media companies where they ban your post, or three is uh, possibly being in Belmarsh prison. That's the third one that some publishers are facing right now. Because well, for us, it would be Guantanamo Bay. What's that? For you and I to be Guantanamo Bay. Yeah, that'd be nice. That's better. Gitmo. Weather's nice. Well, no, but I don't know any publishers in Gitmo right now. Do not you? Yet. We yeah. Got... Well, keep watching. And Manafort's in Rikers, but he's not a publisher really. But, but okay. So what do you? But. How bad is it now? If you're a publisher, how bad is your life right now? See, I'm serious. It depends who you publish from. If, you, <clears throat> if you're a publisher in New York City, in Manhattan, life is good. Six-figure mm-hmm. salaries, lots of perks, lots of awards, dinners, lots of junkets. It's fantastic. If you, with the Times, you're with a Murdoch publication, life's right. good. Life's great, better than ever, in fact. But, you know, I wonder, and I don't know, but I wonder, you know, if you're in... If you're working somewhere and you're, you know, really, and this is the great irony. I'm here at Sputnik. And, you know, I do also do another a show on Pacifica. And to me, it's the same for this reason. Pacifica, I've been there for years. They never, ever, ever tell me what to say. They, I just wander in, do my show, and wander out, right? 
but it's the same thing here, right? And I remember we had someone from like NBC or something, you know, do, interviewing us and they were going to do a story. And I said to her, I said, here's the irony. I said, I can talk about anything I want in the air. I'm the alleged propagandist. I said, but if you go back to NBC and you say, hey, look, I wrote a story on Sputnik and your, and your article says, you know, I was around there for two or three weeks and, you know, come to think of it, perhaps we were wrong in thinking they were propaganda. It seemed like it was fine to me. I said, you're out of a job. You can't go back and write an article that says that you didn't find what they want you to find or you're out of a job and I can say anything I want every day. That's the great irony that we're looking at here. Sure. If, if I make one mistake, we, the fact checkers jump on top of us right. like, like a, a rugby scrum. Now, if CNN does this on a daily basis or the Washington Post does this on a daily basis, it just gets washed up in the normal churn of, of news. So it's nothing unusual that uh, uh, they'll get the facts wrong, that they'll get a complete story wrong. They'll print something that's completely uh, bogus and outrageous, and that just gets written off as, oh, sorry, we made a mistake. Right. There's the big CNN article right now that there's a, I'll, I'll actually tweet it out because Shadow Proof has a, a, an article on uh, because CNN just put an article uh, out recently where they went again after Assange. And the articles just basically says like surveillance reports. Assange receives deliveries at key moments in the 2016 race. And listen to the last part. Potentially of hacked emails. Potentially he got deliveries. Potentially, potentially it could have been a pizza. He got deliveries. Potentially could have been a pizza. Potentially could have been, I don't know, you know, uh, I don't know, you know, eggs and ham. It could, potentially it could have been anything. So they come up with this story. But then when people start looking into the story, they realize that there was an article written um, a month or two ago or a couple months back. And they're just basically taking the information. It was like L-P-I-S, P-A-I-S, did this article. Well, they just basically took the information from the old article and just like rejuvenated it and stuck it out there as though it was new. And I think, I really believe it's because of this. The Mueller report is falling apart. And now it's become obvious that they can't prove the hack, that he can't, he has no, no definitive evidence whatsoever that there was a, that there was a, um, that the DNC was hacked and that that hacked information was given to Assange. So now they're writing an article that says, well, perhaps come to think of it, maybe. It wasn't a hack. Maybe there was something that was hand delivered. And it's just there. And again, one of the things one of the interesting things about it, if you look at what's going on here, that I think it's dangerous. And that is the government investigator puts out a report and the report is extremely flawed. Right. It has holes that you could drive a tractor trailer through. And CNN's trying to plug the holes where we have the mainstream media trying to plug the holes for a government investigation and report that has fallen apart. Why is this happening now? And, and let me tell you, this is rear guard action. Okay. Preemptive rear guard action. So you have what's going on, what you've discussed, and you have other uh, uh, players, operatives in the media who might be willing accomplices. They might be just trusting their sources as they usually right. do. Michael Isakoff, who is one of the progenitors of the Russiagate right. narrative, he's come out uh, just on Thursday, I think, and saying that his new thing is uh, the Seth Rich story was a Russian conspiracy, right. citing some obscure uh, websites that uh, are supposedly making claims by Russian intelligence that actually uh, aren't the first reports of the Seth Rich right. uh, accusation about uh, Seth Rich, former right. DNC employee. Yep. And so the time, why are they bringing this up now? Why are they talking about Seth Rich? I'm now interested in the Seth Rich story. If they're trying to head it off at the pass for some reason, or 
it's very connected to what you I originally said, Garland. That a big part of this is because, and we're reading you know articles everywhere, and anybody that's paying attention to what's going on realizes this: the Mueller report is collapsing, and with it, RussiaGate is collapsing. And I think a big part of this is trying to plug the holes. the uh, The concept of a hack and Guccifer two, and then uh, Guccifer two being a Russian entity hacking the DNC and passing the information on to Assange has completely collapsed. So now even the timeline doesn't make sense. So now they got to try to plug that's all this. I think that's a big part of this. It's like, how can we save Mueller? Because let's not forget, Robert Mueller has to go before Congress. And he just asked for another week and he has to go before Congress and he's in deep and serious trouble. And here's the big reason why. Because a judge just told Robert Mueller on the 1st of July, you can no longer going, go around saying that the Internet Research Agency and Concord Management are connected to the Russian government. You can't do it. So now when he goes, to, when he goes there, if anybody says to him, well, Internet Research uh, Agency, the agency that you said put up all of these um, Facebook memes, if someone says to them, do you have evidence? that they're connected to the Russian government, he can't say yes or it would be contempt of court. And if he doesn't say yes, where's Russiagate now? That's now the whole the, basis it's dead. of the GRU indictments. Right, of, of the, good point. The Russian hacker. It's all based on what you just said. So if that falls apart, then that, that was the big uh, pound of flesh. Right. The, the 12 or 13 uh, GRU hackers. There is no GRU, by the way, in the Exactly. Russia. It's a GR, isn't it? I think so, yeah. But yeah. That's a, it's a Cold War term, right. like KGB, basically. Right. Anyway, they got that wrong. But uh, there's, there's a, these are phantom indictments. They will never come and face uh, those charges in the U.S. court. However, right. their lawyer asked for discovery. They have hired a lawyer, went to New York, asked for discovery right. only uh, last two months ago. And guess what? They, they prosecutors said, we don't have, we're not ready. Right. We're not ready. We don't have the evidence. So they're not comfortable defending these accusations. I'm talking about Mueller. Right. I'm talking about the U.S., uh, the federal structure. Uh, they don't want, they're not ready to defend it. So what is it based on? Well, the thing about it is this. So this so-called, the, the one case that, they're, that, that, that the Mueller team's facing is Concord Management, which is they own the Internet Research Agency, which is the alleged troll farm. Okay. But the bottom line is, now that his charges against Internet Research Agency and Concord Management, to me, the case is almost ready to be dismissed because what he's got to argue now is Internet Research Agency and Concord Management, 8%, 8% of their Facebook, 8% of the things that they put on Facebook were related to the, to, to, to the, to the election. 92% wasn't. So he's got to show that the Internet Research Agency, for some reason, unrelated to the Russian government, decided that they were going to influence the, the, the election by showing 8% of their Facebook, um, uh, 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 you know, memes, et cetera, which most of that was after the election. The bottom line is in court, this thing's falling apart. And, and, and as you said, Mueller never expected it to go to court. So when Concord Management came here and said, okay, we'll go to court, that was the end. So now you've got a bunch of mop-up people trying to save it, but they can only save it in the short run because there's nothing there for them to save. The patient is... Uh, you know, is DOA. The patient is done, but they're trying to still, you know, pump on the patient's chest, the Russiagate's chest. The whole, the whole Facebook thing, because Senator Warren Warner went to Silicon Valley, demanded that Mark Zuckerberg investigate this. Right. Russian interference. This was, this was two years ago. And uh, Facebook initially said, sorry, we can't help you. Nothing's, there's nothing to see here. 
Nothing happened. Anyway, he goes back to Washington, comes back again, hits them again, Facebook, I don't know, threatens them. I'm not sure what the story was behind the scenes. But after three attempts, they finally capitulated and said, yes, we think we found something. And he runs back to Washington and says, wow, we've got evidence here of Russian interference with Facebook. That's how that went down. Actually, Robert Perry reported on this uh, with Consortium News. And uh, not many people uh, picked that up. But so the, everything, all of these building blocks that have been assembled over the last three years, there's nothing underneath them. And there, now there's no story. And of course you can read. Of course you can read Robert Perry's uh, article on that over. At, oh wait, you can't because they were under. Just coincidentally, they were under a, some sort of denial of service attack. So gee, gee, what's going on there? Now, this is the, well, this is the. Per- if you listen to this, this CNN report, this is the perfect RussiaGate story. Two things. Now listen to this. New documents obtained um, by CNN reveal that WikiLeaks founder Julian Assange received in-person delivers, de- deliveries, potentially of hacked email, potentially. And then they go on to say the documents build on the possibility raised by special counsel Robert Mueller in his report that couriers brought hacked files. So they potentially and build on the possibility. Here's what that means. You ain't got nothing. I mean, potentially they could have been the email. Potentially it could have been the Hope Diamond. Potentially it could have been yellow gray uranium. In, in a world, in a universe of, uh, uh, you know, where, where there's potential collapses of waves or however, you know, the theoretical physicists say it, it could have been, a monster. It could have been anything. So the best article you have, if I say, well, Patrick Henningsen came in, potentially he could be carrying a, bo- a nuclear weapon. Okay, speaking of monsters, Garbage. let's talk about Michael Isikoff. So Michael Isikoff, the reporter, the great uh, Spikey, Michael Isikoff, <laughs> who's, you know, he's had some stories spiked. Michael Isikoff, I'm going to say, is a collaborator in this, and here's why I say that. My- Michael Isikoff was working with Alexandra Chalupa. He also, according to Michael Isikoff, who, told, who confirmed this for me, was going up to Capitol Hill with Alexandra Chalupa and convicted serial bomber Brett Kimberlin. Now, Kimberlin is a guy who is— The Speedway Bomber. What's that? The Speedway Bomber. Speedway Bomber, and he's also at the heart of a lot of this stuff, longtime Clinton connections to Cody Shearer. Cody Shearer is the guy who supplied the second dossier. Now Michael Isikoff is out. And by the way, he interviewed me for this about a year ago. And uh, Isikoff was like, hey, I'm doing a, a podcast on Seth Rich. Would you like to participate? And I said, absolutely. I said, because I never bought into the Seth Rich thing at all. Here's what I will say about the Seth Rich thing. I reported on it before anybody else I know. I heard about it, not from the Russians, but at the DNC. And I posted it on Twitter, and it's still up there. I was at the DNC. There was a whole—Garland, you remember, you were at the DNC in Philly. Remember there's that whole area— where there was like fountains that you know spring up out of the yep. ground, you yep. know what I mean, like yep. the kind of water fountains they have in uh, public urban spaces sometimes yep. when it gets hot. That's where they sequestered the protest. They say you guys protest here. That's yeah, free speech corner. It's far away, far away from the uh, convention. So I saw somebody over there with a sign that said, "I am Seth Rich." Right. I used to see that stuff all the time online. And I, I had Seth no Rich. idea. And this was just after Seth Rich had died, basically, was, was, was shot, was murdered. Because there's no question about that. He was definitely murdered. And I talked to the guy, and I said, what does your sign mean? And he told me. And I videoed, I shot it with my camera, posted it on Twitter. Here's a guy. Here's what he's saying. I didn't know anything about the story. Then when it came to Washington, I talked to a reporter who I knew. And I said, what's going on with that? And they told me. Then I've looked into other stuff. 
I have no reason to believe, A, I have no reason to believe that Seth Rich gave material to Assange or anybody. There's no proof of that. Then I have no reason to believe, therefore, he was murdered because of the material that I have no reason to believe he gave them. And I've been very clear on this. Now, if I see evidence, if evidence comes out, I'll listen to it and I'll take it into account. But Isikoff, what he, here's what he did. He sandbagged me. So he knew where I was on Seth Rich. He's like, but you worked for Sputnik. And they said, and he reads me. And I said to him, I said, Michael, do you speak for David Korn on every issue? You've written a book with him. You know you don't. Do you speak for Yahoo or whoever you're working for? You don't. And here's the thing, Pat. You know this, Patrick. If ben- you, Vanessa Bealey's published over 21st Century Wire. You're not responsible for Vanessa Bealey except insofar as you publish a story by her that you edited or published. I'm not an editor or publisher here at Sputnik. Right. I wasn't even working here at the time. No one asked me. And so I said, Michael, come on. How long have you been a journalist? You know better than this. You know you're not responsible for every, unless you're an editor or publisher, right? And so he sandbagged me. And now he's out with this very dishonest thing, saying the Seth Rich story came from Russia. Wrong. It did not. It came from Democrats, Sanders supporting Democrats, who thought it was suspicious that Seth Rich was murdered right after, and you know what they said, right after Sanders supported Clinton. That's what the guy told me, and it's up on video now. Well, there you go. So why is it? Why is this a cough? Well, why is he running this story now? Did you see the CNN uh, interview with Anderson Cooper and Isikoff? No. Anderson Cooper was falling into a catatonic coma during the interview. He was totally disinterested. I've never seen anything like it. Normally, Anderson Cooper has that sort of uh, right. steely kind of engagement look, concerned look. He was even bored to death of it, and Isikoff was just rambling on for half an hour. He's trying to save his hide. We'll be right back. You're listening to Fault Lines with Nixon and Stranahan. Fault Lines. 